This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, May 1st, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. It's been illegal since the 1930s, but is naked short-selling really a phantom shares menace? J.B. Heaton, co-author of an article in the new Regulation magazine, The Economics of Naked Short-Selling, says the rationale for keeping it illegal is suffering from a lack of evidence one way or another. Very quickly, what is short-selling? Short-selling, what I would call traditional short-selling, is uh, the practice of agreeing to sell something, usually a a share of stock, agreeing to sell something that you don't currently own. And so in order to satisfy your obligation to deliver it to the person you agreed to sell it to, you go out and you essentially borrow it from someone else. So I I would agree to sell you a share of Google stock at $600, but I don't actually own Google stock today. Three days later, you've got the obligation to come up with your $600, and I've got the obligation to deliver you a share. If I don't have that share, I need to go out to someone and say, I'd like to borrow your share of Google. And effectively, what I'm really doing is I'm I'm not really borrowing, and I'm getting it from them, and I'm promising to give them a share back later. Then I come to you, and I deliver that share to you. Um, that's a simplified uh, short sale. It's a sale of something that you don't own and that you're going to have to go out and borrow in order to make delivery. Naked short selling is different. How different is it? In naked short selling, uh, what you do is you fail to deliver that share. So I would go to you and I would say, uh, I'll sell you a share of Google for $600. And we have a settlement date three days later. Three days later, you show up with your $600, and I don't show up with the share. And the reason I don't show up with the share is I haven't been able to locate uh, a, a share to borrow. Or if I've been able to locate them, and this is more often the case, the person who uh, has the share wants to charge me a lot of money to borrow that share. And so rather than borrow the share and incur that expense, I simply uh, fail to deliver, and you'll hear that term a lot, fail to deliver that share. Now, uh, then you're sitting there, and what you're owed is a share. I still owe you a share, and you still owe me $600 when I deliver you that share. But we can go on and on and on for days and weeks, and you may not be particularly concerned that you haven't gotten your share yet because you've haven't paid your $600 either, and you've got an obligation, not even against me, but against uh, a big clearing corporation that if you really do want to get delivery of that share, you can get it. Other than the problem associated with failing to follow through on a contract, what is the criticism associated with naked short selling? The criticism associated with naked short selling is that naked short selling uh, has all the effects of regular short selling that people who are long a stock uh, don't like uh, but it's even more extreme. So if I'm someone who is uh, long, I'm the owner of Google stock out there, anytime anyone affects a short sale, it's going to tend to be selling to someone who values the stock at a little bit less than the price today. Otherwise, they would already have been holding it. So that's going to tend to make the price go down. But at least that practice is limited by the amount of people out there who are willing to give up their share to the short seller to deliver. Once people are willing to engage in a practice where they don't have to deliver the share, then the argument goes they can short sell almost as much as they want without uh, regard to their ability to go out and borrow the shares, in effect uh, substantially increasing the supply of those shares beyond what would otherwise exist with traditional short selling. So if 
uh, just imagine if, if there would only be a million shares that would be available to short sell if you actually had to go out and borrow the shares because no one beyond that would be willing to lend them. With naked short selling, you could do another million or two million shares. And so it really all goes back to the fact that short selling tends to make prices go down. Uh, naked short selling uh, is just unconstrained short selling, unconstrained by the amount of shares that people are willing to lend, so it can make prices go down uh, even more. Is there not a market mechanism to create something like an eBay rating for those people who uh, routinely fail to deliver on their promises? The thing to um, uh, keep in mind is that unlike in, on, in eBay, where if somebody fails to deliver the good to you, that really hurts you as an eBay buyer. You get frustrated. There was something you wanted to buy, and, and the person didn't follow through. The big problem with naked short selling is that typically the people who, are, um, who haven't received delivery, uh, those who the, 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 the failed to deliver to, uh, really don't mind. Um, they, they keep the proceeds. They keep their money until the stock is delivered. They're still owed the stock, so in effect what they have is an obligation from uh, the big clearing corporation to give them the stock whenever they want it. And so uh, they are actually um, uh, perhaps not that frustrated, not that bothered. They're sitting on their money and they're owed uh, a share of stock. And if they really want it, they can force the clearing corporation to buy it. The people who are really annoyed are the, are the people who own the stock and don't like the fact that the price has gone down uh, because of all this uh, short selling. And it's one of the arguments that uh, Chris Culp and I make in our article is that what really happens with naked short selling is that you are uh, replacing one source of security lending, that, other, that person who used to own the stock who's willing to lend it to the short seller. You, you're, in a sense, creating competition with that person by the new buyer. The new buyer now allows himself to be the security lender by saying, okay, you don't have to deliver it to me today. So it's, it's really not a, it, it's unlike the eBay example in that the funny thing is that the naked short sellers uh, and the people they are failing to deliver to, deliver to um, neither of them are all that bothered by this practice typically. What of the opportunity cost for the person who was hoping to have a share delivered on the day on which he expected to have it delivered? About the only um, meaningful opportunity cost is if it affects their right to uh, perhaps vote in a, on, a, on a corporate vote um, uh, because they are, um, they, they're still entitled to receive um, all the dividends, if there are dividends, uh, they'll get all the benefit of the price appreciation because they're owed the stock at a particular uh, price. Um, at the same time, they're getting an, essentially an opportunity benefit by um, continuing to hold on to the proceeds, uh, the, the $600 they were willing to pay, in my example, they continue to hold on to that cash until the stock is actually delivered. So the real criticism of short selling in general and naked short selling specifically comes really not from the people who are trying to buy the stock typically. It's typically from the other people who have positions in the stock who don't like short selling to start with because short selling, even traditional short selling, will tend to make the prices go down or might make the prices more volatile for reasons we explain in our article. Um, and naked short selling just makes that worse. So the real 
constituency uh, that, that exists against naked short selling is neither the naked short seller typically nor the uh, buyer from the naked short seller. It's all those other people who continue to be long the stock and see the price go down more than it would go down under traditional short selling. You talked about the social value associated with short selling. Could you describe that? The um, argument from financial economics uh, has long been that if you don't allow short selling, that is, if you don't allow people to um, uh, essentially make a bet that the price is too high, that prices will, in fact, tend to be too high. Because if no one can short sell, the argument goes, only the most optimistic owners of the security will be owning the security. And so uh, that may tend to make the price be too high. If it reflects irrationally optimistic views, then the prices will be too high. And the, and the argument from economics is that if the prices are wrong, then capital allocation will end up being wrong. We want prices to reflect uh, generally unbiased um, uh, expectations given risk preferences and all that of what uh, current companies and projects uh, are really worth. And when they don't reflect that, uh, you might lead to an overinvestment in some areas and underinvestment in another. Uh, for example, if people are, tr if people are overpricing uh, new companies, initial public offerings, uh, recall the, the dot-com boom, then there'll be an overinvestment in trying to build companies like that so you can sell this stock out to the market. Uh, and, and those wrong prices will lead a lot of people to put money into things that really are, are not good projects, and, and those prices will eventually crash. Short selling may help um, uh, make, drive prices to more rational levels. So it, short selling is socially valuable if you think that um, uh, market prices can sometimes be wrong. And market prices, economists, even, you know, this is not – uh, you know, these are these are very free market uh, oriented economists uh, uh, like myself, like uh, uh, Dr. Culp. We still understand, though, that 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 if market prices are going to be right, people need to be able to buy and sell. You need to be able to get all the rational views into prices. And so without short selling, uh, you can end up with only the most optimistic views into prices. And that's kind of a, a, a pretty uh, uh, well-accepted argument in financial economics. Have you read uh, Conspiracy of Fools by Kurt Eichenwald? I, I, have, I have read Conspiracy of Fools about four times <laughs> because I am uh, deeply involved in, in uh, Enron litigation. I'm a, I'm oh, a litigator I see. by trade. And so, I see. Yeah. I see. Well, there was a, a great example in uh, Conspiracy of Fools of the well-known well by you, I'm sure, the conference call between uh, Jeff Skilling and shareholders and short sellers. Right. And the short sellers, of course, are well known to be people who are asking questions where they hope to get a bad answer from the CEO. Right. And there are probably um, about as many bad short sellers, meaning um, uninformed uh, and just simply wrong short sellers uh, as a percentage of the total number of short sellers, as there are just people who are wrong on the, on the buy side. But there are also sometimes, and Enron is a great example, um, cases where the short sellers really have it right. Uh, and Enron was a good example of that. The short sellers ended up being quite correct. And um, to the extent that there were constraints on short selling, and at the time, certainly the uptick rule existed, and uh, uh, you know, there's just a, there's often a general regulatory bias against short sellers. It, it it allows those prices to get higher than they might they might otherwise get. 
J.B. Heaton is a partner in the law firm of Bartlett, Beck, Herman, Palanchar, and Scott, LLP. He's co-author of The Economics of Naked Short Selling, available in the latest issue of Regulation Magazine and at Cato.org.